This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. When it comes to people who are living with disabilities or with chronic illness or mental illness, people who are living with life-limiting illnesses, even dependency issues, you'll hear quite a lot spoken about their carers, the, the people, the friends, the family who work tirelessly to support them. What you might not know is just how many people are working these unpaid carer roles right around the country. And trust me, it is a lot. My name's Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle for the next couple of days. And right now, there's just a little under 2.7 million carers around Australia. And that means that one in 10 Aussies works as a carer. Now, this week is National Carers Week. Today, I wanted you to meet some of the people who, who work so hard to care for their loved ones and their friends. You'll hear about their experiences, and you and I are going to get a sense of what hardships they're facing and what support is available to them. Because being a carer is a life-changing role in many more ways than just one. So are you a carer to someone in your life? What's it mean to you to do this work? What does it mean to your day-to-day existence? And What would make the role easier? Or maybe you have carers that support you. I'd love to hear about it. Get in touch. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Christine Rawlinson from the Mass and Don Rages knows very well firsthand how life-shattering it can be to take on a carer's role. When her husband, Neil, fell ill unexpectedly, I don't think she could have self-foreseen where her life was going to go or how complex it might be to navigate this new normal. And Christine... Take me back to the start. Tell me what happened with Neil. Uh, We were camping for the grand final back in 2017 and he just suddenly came down with what we thought thought was the flu. Um, Fast forward two days, it was actually meningococcal disease and we were told that he was either going to die that night or we had a very rough patch ahead of us. Um, So he ended up being in a coma for a month and had both legs amputated below the knees, all of his fingers and thumbs amputated, and he's acquired six sites of brain injury. Christine, what happened to your life while this was happening? What were you doing? Um, I was in shock. I was grieving. I was making um, life-altering decisions on behalf of Neil, who was in a coma. I had no idea really how much my life was going to change. I was actually a disability professional and a policymaker beforehand. So I thought, well, at least I know the system. I know that I will be able to support my family through this. But while we were in hospital, it was just a day-by-day proposition to just see if Neil was going to survive. So even with your background, so to speak, it was still kind of shocking to you where things went? Well, I suppose the biggest thing that I've learnt in the last six years years is that I wish I knew back then when I was a health professional and policymaker what I know now because I have never been so tired, so exhausted, so felt so unappreciated. I've never been so broke (laughs) in my life. And um, I don't blame my husband for this at all. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I don't resent him at times Mm. and and some of his behaviour and shenanigans, but I very much feel that I've been put in a position of welfare, um, very much a victim and very much somebody who doesn't feel respected or acknowledged and supported 
by the system that is paid to to support people like me. And, and Christine, just to be clear, you're doing this with two kids as well, if I'm right? Yeah, so essentially I've become a single mum because Neil's needs are so horrific, but not horrific, that sounds terrible, but complex. Mm. But also in the last couple of years, my son has acquired um, a very significant eating disorder. So he's unable to attend school. And we've been told that that's probably um, been a trauma-induced eating disorder because um, my son was only 11 when Neil got so sick and our daughter was only eight. So they're they're both still um, going through a lot of grief and trauma from how life has changed from a very boring middle class, both parents working full time, to um, really we're on edge most of the time and dealing with lots of appointments, lots of um, phone calls, uh, lots of forms, lots of intake processes, lots of people wanting lots out of us. And, um, you know, there are organisations like Carers Victoria and Carers Australia and Carer Gateway um, who do get funding through Victorian government departments like the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing, and we've also got the Federal Department of Social Services. I love that there is a lot of money allocated to supporting carers, but it's made on assumptions that carers are all the same, whereas my kids are carers. I'm a Mm. carer. 80-year-old men are carers. Anyone can become a carer at any time. And, um, yeah, we, it, it doesn't um, – you're not dis, – uh, what's the word? It doesn't discriminate. You could be a carer no matter what your socioeconomic background, no matter your postcode, no matter your cultural background. And when you said they treat them all the same, you're, you're saying that carers have different needs because they're different people with different lives. That's right. So some carers work full time and they work full time to get money in the bank so that they can put food on the table. Mm. But then they come home and they do their second full time job, which is caring for the person that they love. So for me, and I really don't want to sound like a whinger because this is just how my life has, has worked out. I feel like I'm trapped. I do seriously feel like I'm trapped because I have two possibilities. I can give up work become fully welfare dependent and live below the poverty line. And then I just feel, well, what does that do for me and my own personal goals and ambitions? I want to be there to support my son. I want to be there to support my husband. I want to be there to support my daughter. But I think I'm entitled to pursue some of my own life goals. What I have chosen to do is work part-time in a very... I'm very fortunate that I've been able to get a flexible and part-time role, but I'm barely scraping through. I get $140 a fortnight from the carer's allowance from the federal government and that, that, you know, (laughs) that doesn't actually make me feel completely supported, acknowledged or respected for my role. Um, And... People will say that there's services like NDIS, there are services like My Aged Care that will, you know, you can pay people to do the role that you do. Well, yes, you can employ support workers, but nobody loves and cares for the people that I love and care for as much as I do. I can't outsource that love. I can't outsource that advocacy and care. It's me. I need to do that job. You mentioned getting tied up in a lot of that bureaucracy earlier, the forms. How, what was it like trying to find out what support was around? Was it was it an easy run? 
Oh, no, no, not at all. And and I used to um, educate up to 500 people at a time. I, I was the regional community educator for the NDIS. So I knew the system inside out and back to front. And it wasn't until we got ourselves on the national nightly news that we got a ramp for the front door for Neil. And that was two and a half years after his his illness. So um, our, we have to lay ourselves bare. We have to be completely vulnerable, um, you know, really put ourselves out there in order to get the supports that we should just be entitled to. And if I need support, so if I want to get support through, you know, there's there's a huge industry that supports carers, I actually have to fill out forms. I have to ring call centres and have hour-long conversations during work hours um, to to tell my story again, to re-traumatise myself about watching, you know, <laughs> watching my husband's legs die before my very eyes, to, to demonstrate that I'm worthy of getting these, these one-off supports. So um, I suppose what I'm saying is there is the will, there is the acknowledgement out there that carers do need support. And we do. We save the taxpayer $78 billion a year. But there's got to be a better way of doing it. And I suppose that's um, why I'm doing the work that I do with Neighbourhood Houses Victoria to say there's already community-based, local, small organisations where you can just drop into your local neighbourhood house or community centre and do some yoga, <laughs> do some meditation, take part in a cooking program or a gardening program and have a break from your caring cost. What we're really hoping is that places like Carers Australia or the Carers Gateway can fund that. It would be next to nothing, um, but it would just make us carers feel like we're part of a community because... We, we're tired, we don't have time and we've had to sacrifice relationships with family and friends so that we can carry out all of these roles that we have to do all the time. Christina, it's meant so much that you'd uh, take the time and share that with me today. So thank you so much. And Christina Rawlinson, carer, obviously, but she's also the host of the Care Factor podcast, sharing some of her experiences. You can find out some more if you go and have a hunt for that wherever you like to get your podcasts from. On the line, we've got Deborah in Oak Park. Deborah, uh, you run a choir for carers. Hi. Hi, Nick. Yes. Um, I was really interested in listening to Christine's story because she really very eloquently um, talked about a lot of things that I'd experienced myself as a carer. But um, a few years ago, um, I um, I wanted to somehow help people who were caring and offer a form of respite. And the only thing that really came to mind for me and something that I really enjoyed doing was singing in choirs, which I've done for a number of years. And so I, with the help of my husband, um, we ran a singing group for people who are carers in the community and it gave them an hour and a half every fortnight of just coming along and singing songs and being part and belonging to a, a very like-minded group. We just heard from Christine saying that, you know, finding time to do things for her was what she missed the most. And it, it sounds like that's what the choir gives people a chance to do, literally an hour and a half. That, that's for them and something they're passionate about. Yes, we were. Um, we wanted to set it up so that 
people um, didn't have to have any uh, caring responsibility in that time. Mm. It was, as you say, exactly for them. They, they experienced the loss of self and identity. They felt like they weren't really adding any value despite all of the stresses that are involved in looking after somebody 24-7. Um, they, their own needs were neglected and um, <clears throat> we just thought this might be a way to help um, help them sort of regain a little bit of them themselves and honestly when they when they would come we would have half an hour of chatting with um, a few nibbles and tea and coffee and they would get things off their chest and then for the next hour it was just singing and it was marvelous I have to say it was um, we've made you know lifelong friends through that system. Deborah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that you've found a way um, to do something that's so companion-related, people together. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Also on the line, Bronwyn in Camberwell. Um, Bronwyn, you know, we were just... Oh, Bronwyn, are you still with us? Yes, yes, I am. Hello, Robin. So um, we were talking earlier with Christine. She was mentioning how financially draining it is. Um, you were looking at what it means for carers and super payments as well. Yeah, so I've got a gorgeous little sassy five-year-old with muscular dystrophy. Um, and look, I get, you know, she does require full-time care, mm. but the long-term ramifications are huge. So we get you know, their sort of $140 care allowance and we can't, sometimes we can part, work part-time and sometimes we can't, but that doesn't attract any super. So, you know, I'm in my late 30s and it's kind of the time that you're building your super. Uh, there's no way that I can build that. And something simple like if the government was actually able to pay super as part of that payment, it means that, you know, there's a huge amount of women older in poverty and some of that is because we take on, more likely to take on the carer role. Um, so it has huge ramifications, just not now, but in the future. Roman, it's a really interesting point and one I hadn't actually thought about. And thank you, because, of course, you know, the work you're doing now can have that impact much, much later in life as well. And just really quickly, a text that's come through, it's anonymous, saying, I'm a carer for my elderly, frail mother, my intellectually disabled sister, my father who's in aged care, and my mentally fragile daughter. Uh, None of them qualify for any government support it adds up to an incredibly heavy time load luckily it's manageable but it is absolutely relentless and with national carers week happening right now we're looking at the role that these people take on this unpaid caring role one in 10 aussies looking after a loved one a family member a friend and whether there's enough support for them now jane backer kilpatrick is the ceo of carers australia uh jane thanks for chatting this morning i one of the things that Christine was just saying was that carers come in all shapes and sizes and we know that the ages go from teenagers right up to people in their 70s and 80s who are caring for loved ones. Is there a formal definition of a carer? Is there a certain number of hours each week that you have to be working to, to make that rule? Like how do we define it? Thank you. Carers are people who provide unpaid care and support to family members or friends Um, So for a person with a disability, a mental health condition, chronic disease, somebody who may be terminally ill or might have alcohol or other drug issue or, as you've heard already this morning, uh, somebody who's frail aged. Um, There is no time limit and we know that primary carers 
um, are usually supplying care to someone for over 20 hours a week, and sometimes it can be much higher. There are 2.65 million carers across Australia, and a third of them are primary carers, and seven out of ten of them identify as a woman. That's an interesting statistic. Um, When you say primary carers, you mean they're the ones providing the majority amount of care for that particular individual? Well, they're providing more than 20 hours care a week. That person might actually need more care and have some care from the formal care system as well. You heard Christine's story before. Do you think there are many other carers in similar situations finding it hard to navigate the bureaucracy or even knowing where to start finding that support? I suspect there are. Many carers do go unrecognised. Some people don't even recognise themselves as a carer. And um, when they do, um, it's the ability to find the support that they need. And I heard each of your speakers, and regularly they point to the needs of the person they're caring for, but actually it's about recognising the support that you need as a carer yourself. There's the Carer Gateway organisations. There are local organisations, all of which have been referenced already. Um, But it's really important in this National Carers Week that we recognise if either we are a carer or a carer in our midst and we celebrate and raise awareness about their role because it is so fundamentally important. If we had to replace every hour of unpaid care that's provided across Australia, it's over $77 billion of care a year. Jane, why would people not recognise themselves as carers? I think many people just think that's what I do. I'm a mum, I'm a dad, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend. And it's um, that that selfless motivation to actually offer support to another person. When we talk about carer support, obviously financial elements are there, but it's not the be-all, end-all. What other support is available? So through the Carer Gateway organisations, you can access support that's peer support, counselling, Uh, coaching skills and you can access emergency respite as well but in this National Carers Week we're asking for everybody in the community to say to somebody proactively can I do something for you can I do your shopping so that you can actually sit in the cafe for half an hour and have a coffee on your own Um, or go and do that yoga class or join that choir those examples you've heard already today. I did love that choir story, and it strikes me that much of the support people are talking about, it is all peer-driven. Is that important? I think there is a sense of community, if you are a carer, for sure. Um, But we do know that the cost of living crisis is having an effect on carers as well. Mm. Over 64% in our last carer wellbeing survey reported that they'd stopped going to social events because of the cost of living crisis. So that's another factor that carers are contending with. Well, that's got to keep compounding their own sense of isolation, surely. Yes, and the wellbeing reports that we have is showing that more carers are reporting low wellbeing this year even than last year. So over 50% are report, 58% in fact, are reporting low wellbeing this year. What do we mean by low wellbeing? That they're they're not. I mean, you're just you're not feeling well. I mean, it's a general right. thing. You are. Are you are you doing well with your life? Are you actually not? And so it's that sense of well being um, that they report that it's low, and we're seeing that rate of low well being increase over time. So that it's really important that we 
use this National Carers Week to shine the light on the role that carers do for the people they care for particularly, but also their contribution to us as a community as a whole. Does that low well-being, I mean, that's got to have an impact on the people they're caring for as well. I think you'll find most carers are so selfless that actually they put the needs of the person they're caring for well above their own, and that is what happens. But actually, eventually, we do need to be able to ensure that the supports to the carers are sufficiently available and robust and accessible. Um, The speakers earlier talked about the time they take navigating the system. Our survey showed that... uh, uh, carers at forty percent of carers are spending at least an hour a week navigating those systems. So what, what, what we do to respond to make things easier for those carers to make the contribution that they're choosing to make is really important for us this week. And Jane, I just want to touch quickly uh, before I let you go. We've heard people mention younger carers, teenagers mm. already. Do we have a high proportion of young carers in Australia? Do we do we have a breakdown of that? There's about 235,000 young carers across Australia. So they're people 12 to about 24, 25. And young carers are invariably balancing education uh, with their caring responsibilities because of the financial vulnerability that families or friendship groups where caring is involved. They're often juggling work as well, um, discovering their own social life um, as well. So there is a particular... um, requirement to support young carers so if you are in education a university or a school having conversations with the young people who are attending just to confirm their circumstances and see what additional help and support can be offered to them in when that happens and jane i know you've got quite a few events happening as part of national carers week we do indeed you can go to carersweek.com.au to find out how more you can help and um, across the country, it's, it's a symbol of shining a light on carers with monuments and buildings being lit up blue. So when you see one of those buildings that's blue, that's a reminder um, to carers that we're thanking you, but also to the whole community to say, this is what a carer is, this is what they do and how you can help them. Jane, thank you very much. Jane Bagger-Kilpatrick is the CEO of Carers Australia. Many, many texts coming through, and I do apologise if I'm missing any of them. This one again from someone said they'd like to remain anonymous. I've been a full-time carer of my extremely unwell husband for two years. It's hard work. I've tried to get a carer's allowance, but Centrelink feels impossible to deal with. There's no compassion for our limited amount of time and the exhaustion that we're dealing with ourselves. I've been told by some people that it feels like Centrelink make it difficult so that they just give up. It worked. I have given up. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And and I'm sure that while you're hearing this conversation about the support that carers need and how many people are saying that they've found it so hard to find or even find the time to start looking for, I'm pretty sure you won't be too shocked that when I tell you the situation can be even trickier in regional areas. Now, Dr. Dan Wilson is the uh, president of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria. Uh, Dan, do you deal a lot with people who are in a caring role? Good morning and thank you for inviting me to join you. Um, I certainly do. I work as a GP in the regional rural town of Maryborough in Victoria and approximately one in 10 to one in 15 of my consultations are for carers who are experiencing some form of distress or seeking support. 
So in one week, that can amount anywhere between 8 to 15 consultations a week for carers. That's a lot of time for you, but, I mean, I'm just imagining, you know, when it's bad enough you're seeing the GP, you know, things are going poorly here. That's right. If you can imagine that anywhere between 8 and 15 of my consultations uh, where a carer uh, has taken the significant step of acknowledging the burden of their caring role on their own health, I can only start to imagine the number of carers that are experiencing that burden of stress and are not seeking help. Uh, And as your previous um, guest has mentioned, carers do a a huge amount of work for uh, Australia's economy. Uh, Without the the industry of unpaid care, there'd be a $77 billion debt that we'd be looking to make up for. Dan, I imagine that for those carers in regional areas, I mean, you know, we were talking a lot about the peer groups before. That's fine in a larger metropolitan area or a bigger population. It must be a lot harder for people in regional areas to find those groups. It's certainly the case. Now, Carer Gateway is certainly the go-to for most uh, health practitioners or doctors that are supporting carers and is a fantastic resource that often many carers living in regional and rural Australia are directed to. But trying to make sense of a physical or face-to-face network is essentially non-existent in many communities, particularly where populations are under 5,000 people. So you're right, it is an additional burden living, working in regional Victoria. And look, it kind of goes into a broader conversation about rural GPs often having to be the um, the front line for mental health support, which is really not uh, entirely what your role is supposed to be. Look, every single GP working in a regional or rural town uh, is absolutely experienced in providing uh, mental health consultations. Approximately uh, about uh, 10% of a general practitioner's workload 10 to 15% is about mental health consultations and that uh, uh, percentage increases for uh, female practitioners. And whilst you mentioned that that's not necessarily what a GP uh, should be doing, in fact, we are actually really well-versed to support patients in their mental health. So I certainly would never discourage any individual uh, or carer, for that matter, from um, seeking the support they think they need. And uh, a GP is certainly a fantastic place to start. I've had a few people texting in saying that, you know, we we need to be talking more about carer burnout. I know that, you know, Jane was just mentioning sort of that uh, low well-being phenomenon. But, I mean, is there a way that, I guess, rural doctors can be advocating for carers on this level? Certainly. Um, There's no other professional group that experiences uh, burnout probably as much as doctors ourselves. Mm. We too are. We too are people. Um, We too have competing demands Um, and the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria certainly supports carers as much as we possibly can um, to undertake the fantastic work that they do in supporting our patients um, to remain healthy and well in the community. Um, The Rural Doctors Association of Victoria would certainly call upon um, Commonwealth and state governments to work collaboratively to put together packages to support carers um, and overcome some of those barriers that some of our listeners have have written in for, particularly around the burdens and barriers that have been placed for carer support payments through Centrelink. And does that mean, I guess, a a broader and deeper focus on those carers living regionally? I think there is a value to focus on the health and well-being of carers that live regionally and rurally. 
Um, for example, if we take the number of uh, individuals living with disability uh, that require uh, more than 20 hours of care, um, there are there are several different options available for those individuals in metropolitan parts of the country, whether that be supported independent living or a um, residential facility. You then transport those exact number of people living with disability to a rural town. There is almost no accommodation that could mm. be provided for people with particular disabilities that have those needs. So those individuals simply have to be supported in their homes and they do need to be um, particular supports um, developed for regional and rural towns that meet the capabilities and services that, that we're able to offer. Dr Daniel Wilson, thanks for taking the time. Today, Dan is the President of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria, working as a regional GP. A text in from Elsie saying, this doctor sounds so tuned in. He has lucky patients. It's great to hear that he gets it so well. And many, many people sort of suggesting that this is incredibly hard. EM from Mount Waverley saying, the trauma is real. I care for my mum who had a major stroke in 2021. I don't apply for assistance because I can't handle that associated re-trauma and the disappointment when I get told that it can't be provided. I've lost faith in the health and the aged care and carer support systems. I'm saying I have a disability myself and in addition, I've faced gross discrimination as a result. It's incredibly hard. It needs to stop. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And my name is Nick Healy, coming to you from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley, filling in for Rochelle for a few days. We're talking about the role that carers play across Australia. Today is National Carers Week, looking at what support is available for them. And Marie saying, I'm an aged, ageing carer. I'm studying and I'm trying to run an organisation as a volunteer supporting families affected by a rare brain disorder. Our lives are in desperation. We're on the brink of poverty and rapidly decreasing health and despair. Many people texting and calling to say just how difficult these roles are, how left behind they're feeling in terms of that support that is available. You heard firsthand at the start from Christine uh, talking about what it's like being a carer for her, an unexpected one. I'd like you to meet Alan Cleanthus. Now, Alan's wife, Effie, was diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma a few years back, a blood issue that affects her spleen. Now, after chemo and a spleen removal, a stem cell transplant and multiple surgeries, Alan, who's 75, provides care for Effie despite facing his own ailments. And Alan, I can only imagine that caring for someone while having to keep an eye on your own health, how do you do it? How do you keep it going? Well, it, thanks for the opportunity, Nick. It's it's never easy, but I, I guess there's always hope. Um, there, there was a, a saying that I came across a little while back, hurt people, hurt people. Um, so I, I really try and make myself not in a position to be hurt, uh, and therefore I can provide the best health, the best help that I can to my wife. If I have issues that are holding me back from being able to help, then I'm actually harming the situation. So I've, um, I try and work a little bit harder than normal to uh, maintain my own physical health as best as I can, and certainly the mental health. I think that's critical in in these sort of situations. A few people today have been mentioning, Alan, just, you know, 
the financial hit and how hard that's been. Have, has has the financial challenge been rough for you and Effie? Oh, yes, it is. Um, in fact, just a few months ago, um, we, uh, we've we had to approach Dentalink and get, I think, what they call the Home Equity Access Scheme Loan, uh, which is really a redraw on the house. Um, because with the deterioration of all the conditions, uh, obviously the medication increases and changes, and um, our latest change resulted in about an extra $300 a month in being able to pay for new medication. Um, so we had to go to Centrelink and get a loan. Um, but, 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 Nick, I have to say that with the difficulties is the incredible sense of appreciation that we mm. live in a country like we do. Um, I have a friend in America, and I was telling them about Carers Australia and the function they perform, and he had no idea that this was available. And so with all the problems, with all the issues that we do have, it really is a privilege to have something like Carers Australia offering help to people like us. I think when you hear tales from America's uh, healthcare system, you do take on a new appreciation for what actually <laughs> happens in Australia. One of the things Christine was saying was how hard it is for her to find time that is just for her to, to do the things she wants to do, look out for herself. Do, do you find that sort of time just for you, that little, I guess, carefree recharging space? I do. I, uh, I'm i not a good golfer, but I love golf. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I go out and play nine holes. That's all I can manage with my arthritic little body. And um, during those two or three hours, it's just beautiful just to be able to focus on a silly little ball and take your mind off uh, all other things. Um, I, I think it's critical for us to be able to have that respite. Um, you, you know, that... I was reading a book not that long ago, very recently actually, Out of Calamity, a story of trauma survivors, um, mainly acquired brain injury by Roger Reese, and he talks about all the issues that these people suddenly have. And with every person who's injured, there's also um, a associated carer, at least one carer, who comes aboard and their life changes forever as well. So it's not just the injured person. It's the, um, the the care around that injured person that uh, changes dramatically. Um, yeah, it's and we need to find that space to, to be actually be able to recharge. Otherwise, mm. we're not going to give the best help that we can. No, and and what we keep hearing today is, of course, people in your role, people working as carers, they tend to to put their own health and their own mental health on the back burner because they see that role as so important. So, you know, it's a good point that you need to make sure you are looking after yourself as much as you are looking after your loved one. Yes, yes, indeed. The issues have just become even more compounding for my dear wife. Um, She's had a back surgery recently, just a few months ago, and she needs to have another hip operation. But she can't have the hip operation until she has a tooth problem filled because the risk of infection is too great. Once the spleen has been removed, uh, there's no... Uh, problem there. There's no autoimmune system that can take charge. So we have to give her autoimmune supplements every fortnight um, but so that there's no infection, they have to do another problem first. <laughs> it's just like a domino principle where yeah. you get caught up. 
Oh, Alan, yep. that is tough, and I'm really sorry to hear that. But just outside of the financial support, I know you've worked with Carers Australia. You've reached out to the network to find out uh, what, what kind of other help is available. Has that been helpful? Look, the, the, the biggest the, the biggest benefit in that is that I found a, a place a safe place where I can go to for help when I need it. Mm. Um, we hit a crisis spot a little while back, and they were very good. They were able to offer me um, a package for food supplements at a time that we were in. We hadn't quite got the um, Centrelink thing fixed up, and so that, that was vital. Um, but the, the it's a problem that I think can't be. It's not a band-aid. It needs major surgery. And as um, I think, as Christine mentioned in the first call, um, every situation is different, and there's no generic band-aid that can be put on to um, to fix all the issues. Um, so uh, until there's a, a a system where it addresses the needs of people, then I think we're going to be a little bit uh, struggling for for quite a while. Yes. Alan, thank you so much for having a chat today. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. Stories like yours, like Christine, say they help us get a better understanding, people like myself who are not working in your role. And uh, look, best of luck to you, Alan Cleanthus, working as a carer for his wife, Effie, and looking after his own uh, health issues at the same time. Now, Kate Ashbury is the General Manager of the Grampians Community Health. Kate, I know your group does quite a lot of carer support. What sort of work do you do? Um, Grampians Community Health provides uh, care support for people in the Grampians and Wimmera, which is probably quite similar to what happens in other parts of the state. So we provide um, respite for people who, who are caring, providing unpaid care to um, people with disability, mental health, chronic conditions or just ageing. And um, what we do is ask the people what it is that they need to make their caring role easier and we respond to try and meet that need if we can. So it can either be, you know, three hours off like your previous guest talked about to play golf. That's just what he needed to <laughs> look after his physical health and his mental health. And mm. it was clearly really important to him. So someone would be in the house looking after his wife while he does that. Someone else may need um, some assistance in the home so that they can spend time with their care recipient. Or it could be, you know, we have people who care are across all genders and all age groups. So we've supported kids as young as primary school age who are in a home caring for a parent who either has a chronic condition, a physical disability or a mental health issue. So it could be some dollars to help them get to a school camp. You know, there's kids in secondary school who are also caring or like your previous caller, I've found myself in the same circumstances caring for older parents so it's and it, but it doesn't have to be family either mm. you can be a neighbor or a friend as long as you're providing unpaid care you're eligible Kate, I thought I wanted to talk a bit more about the younger carers because I was surprised by how many are available. I mean, that bit over a quarter of a million was what we heard earlier, which is a lot more than I would have anticipated. But the challenges there, I mean, you're talking about kids in primary school. I was trying to imagine kids in, uh, I should stop saying kids, but, you know, younger Australians in high school trying to go through education. You know, that natural time period where you're trying to get a, a social life, have friends, do normal things, having all that be so much more difficult. Yeah, the responsibility is really huge. And, um, 
you know, because we love people, we naturally want to care for people and, you know, we sacrifice what our needs are to make sure that the needs of who we're caring for are met. So, yeah, we, we do support, you know, small young kids and, and older kids. Yeah, and it is, it's, it's really, it is terribly sad. We've got some amazing schools around who bring this to our attention mm. so we can provide some support for them. Yeah. Well, so bring to to uh, to to your attention because we did hear earlier that some people don't recognise themselves as carers. So I imagine for younger carers as well, it's hard to know that they're even supposed to be reaching out for support. No, you're right. They think that's just how their household functions. I come home from school and I cook a meal or help mum cook a meal or I do the the washing or f- um, fold the washing or I'm responsible for the gardening or. Um, that sort of thing, and they don't see themselves as carers because they just assume that that's how every house functions. And so it's it's people that are close to them, either you know their sporting groups or their schools or their church or something like that, that sees that this house is functioning a little bit different, and they need some additional support. And so, I guess you know, in someone terms probably of... said, sorry, someone said probably mentioned earlier, it's a free service, and you don't need yeah. a referral. Anyone can um, be part of it. I was just going to say, for those younger carers as well, you know, we've talked a lot about peer support groups, but, I mean, I guess if you're in primary school or high school, you're not necessarily looking to go and join a choir and have that break. You you need a very different support. Yeah. um, Previously, we've run, you know, small camps for kids, like small numbers of kids who Ah. all have the same circumstances. So they can kind of come together, talk about their experience, feel that they're not alone, um, so that's really helpful, as well as, you know, like the golf experience to just take yourself away. So, you know, a choir might be what they need or a few funds to join the local theatre group or netball club just so that they can also just be mainstream and not feel different. And, Kate, in terms of what you're able to provide, I mean, do you get enough funding to make that happen? Oh, look, <laughs> I think funding's always <laughs> a challenge. It's, and we have, you know, as the baby boomers, which is our huge band of population, as they're entering ageing, the ageing process, the demand for caring in that age group will increase. Um, and I think as a community, we're more mindful of people, um, you know, living with chronic disease and disability, so they're more likely to reach out. So the demand is quite strong and and more funds would always be helpful. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that that's coming your way. Kate, thank you very much. Kate Asbury is the General Manager of Grampians Community Health. Also on the line, Judith Abbott, who's the CEO of Carers Victoria. Judith, you've been hearing all of these tales, um, many people saying how invaluable that support is, but also how opaque they've found some of it, how difficult it's been to even know what support is available. I mean, is that resonating with you? Absolutely. And thanks so much for letting me join the conversation. Um The challenges of just navigating systems is one of the most common things carers tell us, and that's both 
navigating systems to get support for the people they're caring for and try to find support for themselves. And so one of the things Carers Victoria's been working on and where the statewide peak for unpaid carers is trying to put in place systems that make it easier for carers. So uh, carers can call our statewide advisory service on 1800 514 845 and we'll work with them to understand what it is they might need and help direct them to where where they might find that funded support whether they're in Wodonga whether they're in Warrnambool or whether they're in Werribee so we're really trying to help them and you know it means that if you're a new carer because often mm. what happens is something changes and all of a sudden you find yourself as a carer you don't know where to start give us a call and we can try and help. We'll coach you through the kinds of things you need to work through, the kinds of places you might need to go and the things that are available. But it is, it is, it does vary. Uh, what someone can access often depends on where they live or where the funding sits. Um, and that is a, a continuing challenge for everyone that will do our best to keep um, advocating for changes because by 2025, we think there'll be over a million unpaid carers in Victoria alone. Victoria alone, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep, everyone's going to know one, need one or be one. I, just in terms of that, I, I guess the fragmentation of where mm-hmm. that support is available, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that you're there doing the work to bring all of that together, but does it need an overhaul on either a state or a federal level? Look, look, it's so the federal government has... Uh, tried to bring together its funding through the Carer Gateway, which is a, a federal system. Uh, and we are, we are lucky in Victoria because we actually have more state government-funded supports than many other states and territories do. The trick is that to get across the state and to the point that Kate and others have made, to get to the diversity of carers, you need a mix of providers, So it's a bit of a, you know, it's kind of that balance between getting diversity, which means what a young carer needs is different Mm. to a Vietnamese-speaking older woman in a care role. You need that diversity, but at the same time, it can make it tricky to find the thing that's available for you in your local area for who you are. And that's, so I think the answer to your question is you need a bit of both. I'm I'm fence-sitting, aren't I? A little bit, but I I don't blame you for it. I can understand it. Just one thing that got mentioned right at the start of the hour was that when you find yourself in a carer role, you can lose sight of who you are. You're no longer a wife or a CEO or a teacher or a child. You're now a carer, and that can have just such a profound, profound mental health impact. That's absolutely true. The data says that unpaid carers experience social isolation and loneliness at more than twice the rate of other Australians. So you can imagine you're already, you've got a busy life and all of a sudden you have almost a second life. The majority of primary carers do over 40 hours of unpaid care a week. So there is this real risk that you lose your identity Um in, in trying to do the right thing for someone you, you care about. And so some of the programs that Carers Victoria runs are things like Riding With Purpose. We run events where carers can come along and just have a bit of time out and fun. We've got a podcast on Thursday for National Carers Week with two peas in a pod who are both women who are carers but have this delightfully irreverent and engaging way of talking about and and celebrating and yet recognising it's tough. So we're trying to do those kind of things that give people a bit of time out just to have some fun 
and, you know, feel like it's not always what's the next task. And Judith, just quickly, for people who aren't carers, what can we be doing, especially this week while our thoughts are on it, to support people? Look, because it's often very isolating, we're calling on everyone to care for a carer this week. So reach out to someone you know who's in a care role, see how they're going, see if they'd like to head out for a walk or a coffee or whether they'd like you to hang out at home for an hour or two so they could do that by themselves. Just check in so they know that you get them you see them and they're not alone because they do such a great job, but often they feel really hidden and under, misunderstood or not just not recognised. Judith, thanks so much and good luck with Carers Week this week. Judith Abbott is the CEO of Carers Victoria. If you can reach out to someone, if you can offer that little bit of support, do it, especially this week, but do it every time you think about it because as we've heard as people have been texting in as people have been calling in this is a draining role to take on an incredibly important one a life-changing one and one where we do need to be thinking about people and giving them a lot more support when we can thank you everyone who got in touch to talk about caring today i really appreciate it